finding God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey everyone, this is Jason. Before we get into the episode this week, I just wanted to invite you to join the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You know, I've always wanted a place where we can all engage together with the ideas and topics raised on the podcast. So we've started Messy Conversations as a place for the Messy Spirituality podcast community to further engage with those topics, to engage in conversations about deconstruction, reconstruction, and everything in between. For the privacy and safety of everybody involved, it's a closed group. Healthy, respectful debate is, of course, encouraged, but any name-calling, finger-pointing, accusatory, or toxic conversation gets folks bounced from the group. Hopefully, that won't ever be an issue. We really just wanted a place where you can come and tell us what's on your mind as a result of the conversations that we have here on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash messy conversations with an S, it's plural, messy conversations to join the conversation. And I hope to see you there. Benjamin DeLong was born and raised in Iowa, where his dad was a pastor. He's a graduate of Nazarene Theological Seminary with a Master's of Arts in Intercultural Studies. He met his wife, Irene, in college, and they've been married for 14 years. They recently adopted their first child, Michael, who's almost 12. Ben and his family have lived in Ukiah, California for seven years, where he pastored a church for five years before transitioning out of that ministry. Ben is the author of the beautifully written and heartfelt book, There's a God in My Closet, Encountering the Love Who Embraces Our Skeletons, and I'm excited to welcome him to the podcast today. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Benjamin DeLong. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Man, I'm so excited to finally talk to you. You sent me your book a while back, and I just loved it. And it's been a while since I've read it, but I feel like that story still got a hold of me in some way. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Uh, tell us your backstory before we talk about the book. Were you raised to be a person of faith? I was, yeah, yeah. My dad was a pastor my whole, like my whole life. So yeah, I, I grew up in the church, and yeah, I mean that was always a reality and in our in our lives. So now it seems like some I knew your dad had been a pastor. Sometimes the pastor's kids are just, you know, expected to be there every time the doors are open. And sometimes the the pastor's kids are, well, we want them to find their own faith or some place in between those two polar opposites. Where did you fall on that spectrum? Um we were pretty much on the end of you're there and you do everything that the church does and that the idea that you would just kind of let your kids choose their way, I, I think, would have been totally foreign to all of us. <laughs> so was that a denominational church? Yeah, it's a Nazarene denomination. Originally came out of, of the Methodist church, so it has a lot of similarities to that. Okay. Did you think that that experience of being a pastor's son in the Nazarene church, was that a a good place for you to grow up? Yes and no. I mean, there's—I know Richard Rohr talks a lot about how it's it's easier to grow up conservative and then maybe journey the other way when you as you grow up rather than the opposite of that i think i'm i'm sure i benefited from kind of that structure and that idea of this is right and this is wrong i mean i i think that's beneficial to kids um in certain ways so i, I think i benefited in that way but on the flip side i i, I tell people most of my childhood scars come directly or indirectly from from church life and that was either either from church life itself or from the ridiculous amount of stress that it put on our family and on my dad 
and the unrealistic expectations and kind of his not really knowing how to handle that stress, not, you know, not growing up in a family that knew how to do that, but, but also not really equipped to do that either. And so a lot of that stress kind of ended up flowing onto, you know, us kids and, you know, not intentionally, there was nothing um, malicious about it, but yeah, we definitely, I think have a lot of scars from that. Yeah. I don't know too many pastors, kids or pastors, especially pastors, wives in the traditional denominational setting who don't bear some scars from that life in the fishbowl is just impossibly difficult. Yeah. And every single mistake or even perceived failure is amplified by a hundred and broadcast. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really heartbreaking what we put our pastors and, and their families through. Yeah, it really is. So tell me about the God you believed in as a child. The God I believed in was very, he was a very angry person, you know, and growing up, we had our system of belief that was, if, if you're, if you're in the right lane, if you're doing the right things and you're with the right group, then you don't have to worry about that anger. So I, you know, there were times where I wasn't really necessarily afraid of him, but I knew he was angry and I wanted to steer clear of that anger. You know, as, as I grew older and kind of recognized some of the, the dynamics in, in my life, the, there was a lot of that that really was detrimental to my psyche and, and my spirituality. Yeah, just seeing him as that angry and, and, and hateful person. And, and then the other side, you know, of the gospel that we were often given was, well, you're, you're a rotten person, you know, whether you want to call it original sin or what, there, there's something wrong with you and, and God has an anger problem. And, and so I, I, I think I kind of saw God as a bully. And so I, I kind of bullies, if you're on their, if you're on their side, they don't bother you too much. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I oriented my childhood spirituality. But as I got older, kind of realized how detrimental that was. But that's the problem with bullies, right? Because you never know when they're going to change their mind about you, when you'll do something that doesn't uh, measure up to their high standards. And when you're talking about a deity, especially, I mean, man, who can live up to that? If God is a bully, we are all screwed. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it doesn't, you don't have to get very old before you figure that out, that there's really not enough hoops you can jump through No, nope, to keep not. feckless thug God happy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did that impact you uh, mentally, emotionally growing up? Well, I just, I think I just felt really crappy about myself, you know, and, and part of that was we're such mysterious and complicated people. And, and so there was a mixture of it, you know, part of it was, was um, interactions that I had with people, but then part of it was definitely in my view of God. And so I, I didn't think there was anything good in me. And so I actually just, did an interview with a friend of mine and he was talking about how as kids, we have these emotional stoppages where we go through a traumatic period. And if we don't get those taken care of, like our, our emotional health stops at that point. And then later on, we, we try to find other things to fill that. And so my, my way of filling that hurt and pain was, was just dreaming of finding a girl that loved me. And I, I, I just figured if I could find a girl that thought I was special and loved me, that, that that would fix me. And so that's, you know, I had a few girlfriends in high school and, and um, you know, as usually happens. I mean, sometimes there's high school 
sweethearts that get married or whatever, but you know, those didn't work out and went to college and, and I, I ended up meeting my wife there. And, and so finally had this beautiful, amazing woman that loved me and that chose me for her life. And yet I still felt like crap. <laughs> and so that, that was, I think that's when things really hit home was, um, wow, I, I did, I did it. I, I found this woman and it didn't work. I'm not fixed. And so there was kind of this just real pain, um, real hopelessness of, you know, am I ever going to, am I ever going to feel better about myself? And, and that's kind of how I got, there were some different factors to it, but I, that was about the time I got caught up in pornography and, and realized later through people helping me in self-awareness that that was my way of, of getting, you know, fake intimacy without having to really deal with my fear of rejection. And, but the, there was always that I need someone to affirm me because I, I don't see anything good in myself. That's a lot of pressure for you to bring into that relationship. <laughs> yep. How did that manifest itself in your marriage? Well, I mean, I think what ended up happening was, was not so much that, I mean, I, I think I did put some pressure on her with that expectation, but I think mostly what happened was I closed it off to her because I, I couldn't stand the thought of her seeing too deep and rejecting me. And so we um, had several years of just piling on pain after pain. It, it wasn't one dramatic day or whatever. It was just this ongoing of us not having any intimacy and, and me not sharing anything of substance of myself and just kind of, you know, that's what I did my whole life. I just played the role to try to make people happy. And that's what I ended up doing in our marriage. And so she, she was devastated inside because, you know, she wanted to know me and she wanted to be close to me and that wasn't happening. Did you reach a crisis point in your faith where you knew things had to change? Yeah. I mean, sort of, um, I, I, I definitely came to the spot where I just realized that I, I got to do something to, to fix it. It's like nothing I'm doing is working. And, and it wasn't necessarily connected to my faith. I, like, I didn't recognize that as much then. I just knew that my life wasn't working. And that was around the time that my wife and I went to this spiritual formation seminar called Breakthrough in the Kansas City area. And it's this... Is that it, Dr. Paul? Yep, that's Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. I love him so much. Oh my gosh, he's awesome. And so they, you know, they they confront you about your shame. They, you know, the, the way he's explained it is that we, the internalized shame we have, we accumulate that experientially. And so they try to create this experiential thing where you can find some healing from that. And and through that, through breakthrough, through that experience was, I, I encountered divine love there like I had never known before. But my my theology was so toxic that I just assumed there's no way that my faith and this love can mix. I just assumed that they were at odds with each other. And so I fully believed I had to pick one or the other. I had to pick faith or I had to pick love. And I eventually I just told God, like, you know, the way it's been going, if that's who you are, I, I'm done with you. In my mind, I was becoming an atheist in that mo in that moment because I didn't think they could mix. But amazingly, you know, I I gave up my faith, and then God came in and said, "No, I I I am that love that you experienced." Wow, isn't that incredible? Yeah, it was completely unexpected. <laughs> How long did it take you to detox from that toxic faith? 
of your upbringing? I mean, I know you said that you kind of said, you know, this is it, I'm done. But sometimes that's easier said than done yeah, <laughs> because that yep. little voice in our head doesn't really go away. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, in some ways, I, I feel like I'm I'm just getting there now. And it's it's been a lot of small steps. I had a period where I became like an official pastor of a church, and I, I definitely reverted back to to that, just kind of trying to dance around and make God happy because that, that's what was comfortable. And and so I, I had another time where I kind of had to to get out of that. But yeah, it took it took a while. It probably it probably took about eight years from for me to really really start to let go of some of the um, dysfunctional elements of my faith to 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 really be able to say to have something else in place to say okay I, I can let that go, especially especially around the the um, issue of how I was taught to think of hell and and what that said about God. It it took a while to get there and then and then even longer to get to like emotional health to where I can really start to find healing and to where I can I can really believe deep down that God loves me. It it definitely took a while. So today, after as you mentioned before we actually went on the air, you talked about two different seasons of deconstruction. After you've you've gone through that process, you've started to rebuild your faith, and well, I guess God rebuilt your faith just by introducing God's self as love, right? Yeah, yeah. So today, who do you believe God to be, and how has that changed the way you view yourself, your wife, others around you? I mean, I, I definitely think that I, I see God as as being love and, and nothing else. I, I don't. I don't see I don't see love as just one characteristic of God and and then he's so he's also angry and he's also holy and he's also wrathful. I I I think he's love and that's it. And everything everything else comes comes out of that love and so whatever if we want to talk about justice or judgment those all have to come out out of that love and and it needs to make sense with that. So yeah, that that's where I that's where I start, you know, and 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 I got there from really coming to terms with that God looks like Jesus. And, you know, Jesus said, as you've, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and really coming to terms with, oh, I, I, can, I can let go of God as wrath or God as the commander of genocide or God as the one who's going to brutally punish me for even inadvertently breaking a rule. Like, I, I could start to let go of that. And I think I, I've really started to just really see all of us as made in the image of God so that we don't, I mean, we don't have any other origin. There's no, I, I was created good and, and all of us created good. And so there's, there's no, there's no hint of, well, but we are, you know, depraved or there's something dirty in us that needs to be fixed. Like, no, there's, there's brokenness that needs to be healed and, and we, forget who we are but we we are good that that's who we are and and we are part of just this part of something so much bigger that's bigger than the earth it's you know bigger than the universe but we're caught up in this what this huge thing that is love first and foremost and so that and then that's how you know that's how i see those around me and not only that they are created in the image of god and created in love but that when it comes to our the problems that we run into, it's not, 
you know, oh, whether they're depraved or there's something wrong with them. It's they, they just somewhere along the line, they forgot who they were. And so there needs to be healing and restoration, but the core message is you are good and you've always been good. I love that. Believing we are good takes away all the pressure to act good or to perform. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Okay. So a lot of times when people have this realization, they start to see that God is love and that every human being is a human uh, created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect that spills over into unpopular people groups, drug addicts, convicts, the LGBTQ community, uh, many others, Democrats, Republicans, however, you know, your upbringing, liberals, whatever. How did that go over in your circle? Did, did you get a lot of pushback to this idea that God is love and nothing else? You know, and, and, in discussion, not really, but a lot of Christians have what they'll what they'll say and then what they actually practice. You know, there's so many evangelical Christians that their their faith is and Brian Zahn talks about this, that their faith is more of like a civil religion than it than it is like actual following following Jesus. It's it's just part of what they think makes them American. And so that it's it's hard for them to get past thinking those terms of of love extending to our enemies and and people that are different than us. I, I feel like my denomination as a whole does okay with this. It's it's hard because, you know, I, since I went to school for ministry and stuff, there's like a dichotomy almost of if <laughs> I, I would always tell people that if you if you went to went and had discussions with the professors at my undergraduate college a private Christian college, you would find that the religion professors were the most liberal people on the campus. And so, you know, it just kind of depends who you talk to. But I do remember um, when I lived in Kansas City, we we helped some friends kind of start this ministry. Originally, it, w- it was a few ladies that they started ministering to some strip clubs, and they would go down and, and minister to the the ladies that worked there. And they'd, you know, take them gift baskets or, or whatever. And, and that there, there was a lot of pushback from that. And then later on, kind of branched out of that, some of those ladies and then some of us guys got involved with ministering to the to the gay community. And I'm sure there's some of us this everywhere, but, you know, because Kansas City is only like an hour away from um, the Westboro Baptist Church, most, I found that most people in the gay community, when they thought of Christians, they definitely thought of the hateful, you know, you're going to hell kind of thing. Um, because they were so close in proximity to that, and so we we went and and we would hang out in the gay bars and just um and really no there's no agenda we were just trying to be friends with people and I actually told people told this lady at one point cause she she was like why are you guys here she's like it doesn't make sense are you like on a mission or something and I and I just told her I was like no we're really just kind of want want to apologize for how crappy Christians have treated you and. And she just started crying like that. That really spoke to her. But there is definitely, and honestly, there still is with the people that remain at that ministry. There's still so much pushback for, you know, we're we're so people can be so concerned about their religious system, and if you mess that up, it like scares them to death. And so there's still so much pushback about just building relationships with the gay community. And it's like, why are you bringing them to Christ? And are you telling them what's right and what's wrong? And it's like, no, it's you know, God will take care of that. <laughs> we just got to do this part. 
Well, let's talk about your book for a minute. Um, I really love the book. There's a God in my closet encountering the love who embraces our skeletons. Now, writing a book, I know from the personal experience of the last few months of my life, is not an easy task. What motivated you to write this book? <laughs> Part of it is that I, I just really enjoy writing. I I found out in college how much I, I liked writing, and I, I I wrote a book then and never never got it published. And probably nobody should ever read that one because <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a couple of those. Yep, yep, for sure. And then, um, like eight years ago, I wrote like a science fiction book, and 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 so I, I just like writing. So that's part of it. And I mean, this isn't just exclusive to to me, or I, I don't know if you do the Enneagram at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a four on the Enneagram. Okay. And so I just, you know, fours just have so much emotion bottled up in them. And so any kind of creative work is just a really healing way to kind of express that. And obviously that's, you know, that's not exclusive to fours, but that's, that's one way of explaining it is just getting, getting that out. And then I just really, what, when it really started to click for me, because at first I was just going to write it as like this just purely a theological book. And then when I was able to to find healing enough to where I could share about my own story and realized, oh man, what what if this was coupled with my own story of spirituality and depression and, and anxiety? That's where I was like, oh man, this this could really speak to people and help them. So that's kind of where it came out of. Well, that's beautiful. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Really grateful that you had the courage to be transparent about your struggle. So many of us who deal with anxiety and depression feel like we're doing it all by ourselves, that we're all alone, that we're the only one dealing with it that way. And we've lost too many who felt trapped in that. And so I think every voice that can speak up and say, hey, you're not alone matters. So who do you hope reads the book? Who's it written for? I, I think the main people it's written for are people that need need some of that healing, whether it's from from dealing with depression, anxiety, or just dealing with a lot of shame of just just that need to know just deep down that there's there's nothing about them that God doesn't accept just as they are. There's there's just we, we all have these things about us that we think make us unlovable. And when you can um get to the point where you realize that that's not true. And and you experience love in those places. There's so much as healing about that. And most of the time we, we need another person to help us get there, you know, whether it be someone we're close to or a spiritual director or something, but just to get to that place where we, we know, wow, there really is nothing in me that makes me unlovable. And, and also I, I just, I have a big heart for people that have been hurt by the faith and just don't know, don't know that there's, other ways to conceive of the faith so that they don't have to give it up. How did you get Brad Jerzak to write the forward to this book? I mean, the forward alone is worth the price of the book. I mean, the book is awesome, but anything Brad Jerzak has touched is awesome as well. So how did that happen? Yeah. Oh man. I love Brad Jerzak. <laughs> so I, a lot of, well, I probably all of that is because of my, my friendship with Paul Fitzgerald. Paul was putting together a conference in Kansas City, and it was going to have um, Brian Zahn and Michael Harden and Brad Jerzak. And I happened to be going out for vacation that year, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to make this work. And I just couldn't, and I was really bummed about it. 
And honestly, th- this says as much about Brad and just what a gracious person he is. Cause I, I just messaged him on Facebook and said, Hey, you know, I, I'm friends with Paul and I wanted to make it out there and couldn't, I'm really bummed about it. And, and we just messaged back a few times. And if I had a kind of something I was struggling with spiritually, I would just ask him. And, and like I said, he's an amazing person. I mean, he's, I'm sure he's incredibly busy, but he almost always got back to me. And, and so we, we had that. So we had kind of um, that established relationship there. And and so then when I had to deal with the permissions part of, of writing and I talked to him about it and, and talked to him about the book and he really resonated with it. Yeah, it's awesome to have Brad Jerzak do the forward, but most of that is just because he's, he's just such an awesome person. He really is. He's very generous and gracious. Yeah. So how can folks get a copy of the book and how can they engage with you further online? The, the main way w- would be to go on Amazon, do a physical copy or Kindle. Um, you can also go through my publisher, uh, Whiff and Stock Publishers, and get it through them. And then they can interact with me. I have a website, bedelong.com. I have an author's page on Facebook. Yeah, those are probably the, the main ways. Awesome. Ben, thanks so much for your time today. I hope our listeners will get a hold of the book and let it resonate with them the way that it has with me. I'm so grateful again for your transparency in the book. And I'm really excited about whatever the future holds for you. Do you know what's coming up next for you? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's just still um, working with this book and um, kind of getting it out there more, but I, I have a blog and I, I started a podcast that's just named after the book. It's just called the God of my closet and kind of exploring that, that metaphor more deeply so I talked to, I, I just started it, but I talked to Carl Forehand, author of Apparent Faith. I talked to Paul Fitzgerald, and then I'll be talking to, to Brad Jerzak soon. And then I, uh, I I started on my next book, which will be a, it'll be a novel. I, I don't have a title for it, but it'll be a novel kind of exploring um, what it looks like to find healing in, in our relationship with our own inner child. Well, man, I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to link to your podcast, to the book, and to your website in the show notes. And I hope people will take advantage of those resources and get a copy of their, of your book for themselves. And we will look forward to that novel in the future. Ben, thanks again for your time. God bless you, man. I really appreciate your transparency today. Oh, you too. Thanks so much, Jason. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.